0: So uh, a couple of years ago, I was in an airport in Chicago, and I looked over, and I saw two Orthodox Jews, and they were in full garb. And I walked up to them, and I said, can I just bless you in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And they looked at me like I just came in from Mars, And they were speechless. They really didn't know what to say. I think at first they thought I was saying something that was negative or or I was trying to make fun or whatever. I don't know what was going on in their mind. And they said, what? And I said, well, I'm a Christian and I just want you to know that I love the Jewish people and I believe the covenant of Abraham where it says that he will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in the name of the God of Abraham, I just want to bless you. And they were speechless. And the younger one got up enough courage, it seemed, to speak, and he said, no one has ever done that in my life. Thank you. And the older guy started to well up with tears. And he probably had seen a lot of persecution and a lot of difficulty and probably was uh was a young man during World War II. And the reason that we bring this message today on the nation of Israel, on the doctrine of Israel, is because it is so intricately wed to the entire word of God. And to not understand what God did and how God called a man by the name of Abram out of this land of the Chaldees, which today would be Babylon. And out of that, he caused him to be the first Jew. It was God's calling, it was God's purpose, it was God's plan. In his ancestry, there was that that ancestor of his by the name of Eber. And it has a rough breathing mark on it and so we would pronounce it Heber and it's where the word Hebrew actually came from. It would be later that God would have this encounter with a man by the name of Jacob whose name means the deceiver. And he said to this one Jacob, in this wrestling match, it seems with this angel of the Lord, that Jacob was not used to to not getting his way. He was not accustomed to not having things be in his advantage. And the angel said unto him, let me go for the day is breaking. he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob has always wanted something to come back to him. And the angel touched the hollow of his thigh, and that that thigh was dislocated, and he limped the rest of his life, but he said, that is your blessing, and your name shall no longer be Jacob, but it shall be Israel. You are no longer the deceiver. You are now a prince with God. Mark Twain wrote these words, the Greeks and the Romans are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out. The Jews saw all, survived them all. All things are mortal, but the Jew. All other forces passed, but he remains. What is the secret to his immortality? The secret, if there is a secret to be known, it is God had a purpose and God had a plan. In the same way that God has a purpose and God has a plan for you. And I hope today to, to, to wed those two ideas together that God had a purpose and a plan for Israel and God has a purpose and a plan for you. Let me take you to Genesis chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. And this is the call that, that God has this God encounter with Abram and he says unto him, get out of your country. It's a strange way to approach someone, isn't it? Get out. Get out. I don't want you in Babylon anymore. I'm going to take you to a place that I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you a land that I want you to have. And he says, get out from your family. In other words, I'm not asking you to move your entire tribe. And tribes were big in that day, and so it wouldn't be just one or two people that would pick up and say, hey, we're moving south like we do today. It would be an entire tribe that would move. He says, get your family out and, uh, from your family's father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now imagine that message coming from God. Imagine God saying, I want you to leave everything you have, I'm going to take you to a place, I'm going to give you land, I want you to go down to your local bank, I want you to withdraw everything, and and because Abram was a rich man at this time, I'm sure it was noticed in the community, in the tribe. Where are you going, Abram? Well, I'm moving south to a land that God is going to show me. Well, what are you going to do there? I'm not sure. How will you know when you get there? Well, God will show me. You can imagine how crazy it must have seemed, and then to put on top of that, I'm gonna bless you, and I'm gonna make your name great, and every family on planet Earth is going to be blessed because of you. I wanna show you the land. There's a a map here that we have called the the Royal Land Grant that was given to Abram, and if you go back and you trace the biblical pattern of what God said was his land, You'll notice this land stretches from the Mediterranean all the way over to the Tigris-Euphrates rivers. You'll notice it reaches far to the north there at Hamath and to the south below the Dead Sea. This was the area that God gave to Abram. Now you know there's a lot of controversy, there's a lot of discussion, and there's a lot of pressure from our own government to try to give, to ask Israel to go back to their 1967 borders. Right now, Israel has less than one-tenth of one percent of all the land in the Middle East, and yet they want more. And you have to look at it and say, why is it? What is, makes this land unique? And we see that this was not a land that was, that was owned by some other group. This was a land that God gave them that they occupied in the day of Abram. And the only limitation that God put on Abram at the time was Everywhere you walk, every every step you take, the sole of your foot, when it places itself down on a piece of ground, that is gonna be your land. And this is what God gave. I want to talk to you a little bit about the call of God on, on not only on Abram, on the nation of Israel, but also on you. Here's what I've come to understand about God. He is unreasonable. Have you ever noticed that when you're talking to God, you're in dialogue with God, and, and you're trying to really kind of get all this together, what God really wants of you? You read Scripture, you pray, and you go, God, that doesn't make sense. God is a God that rarely makes sense when he makes these great requests for us to walk by faith. I mean, think about Noah. Seriously, God? You want me to build an ark, and there's just eight of us going to get on this thing, and you're going to wipe out the entire planet? It's not reasonable, God. When you see, but when you forfeit the familiar and the comfortable in your life, the kingdom you receive will be miraculous and supernatural. Our tendency is to try to hold on to everything that we think is real because we think it'll last if we hold on to it just a little bit tighter. And yet just the opposite is true. When we release something is when God provides even greater. And God wants us to understand something about the kingdom of God that he has. Fear is common. Have you ever been afraid of, of just your future of your day? Like, how is this all going to happen? It? And it might be a health, it might be an economic concern, it might be a family concern. And you say, God, I just don't, I'm filled with fear right now, and I don't know what to do. Let me tell you what fear is. It is an invitation to boldness. When fear comes, it's God saying, why don't you trust me instead of being afraid? He, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What God does in you by his spirit is to put not, not to put fear in, but to really put confidence in there and power in there and clear thinking in the spiritual realm so that you understand what God wants to, be, to have happen in your life. Because fear is not hard to find. Fear knows how available fear is in your life. I mean, all you, you can be perfectly fine. All of a sudden, it's almost like a wind blows, and you go, Well, I'm afraid. What are you afraid about? I don't know. I'm just afraid. And we fear so many things. Like, like if, we, if we, we almost believe that, have this idea that if I hold on to it really tight, nothing bad will ever happen. How about this one? Have you ever been afraid to pray God whatever you want in my life because He might do that? I mean, really, you go, God, just whatever you want to do in my life, uh, I give you full permission. So nobody prays that. Nobody really prays that and means it, I don't think, really in the depth of their heart because they're not sure what it means. And they think they're safe because surely God would not do whatever he wants in your life if you just keep quiet. Quiet right? I'm just going to go on the down low, God. I'm not going to just, you know, make any waves. And, and God, if I need to learn something, I want to learn it the easy way. No trials, no tribulations, no difficulties, no problems. God, just I'm okay. If you want to go get somebody, go get a guy named Job. Do you remember it wasn't, it wasn't Satan that brought Job's name up. It wasn't Job going, God, whatever you want. It was God who brought Job's name to the forefront. Because God wanted to work a purpose in the life of Job that he couldn't work any other way except through adversity. And you don't discover that until you get to the last chapter of Job, chapter 42, where God is talking to Job and he says to him, he says, Job, he said, you thought you knew something about me. And then Job says, I heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you and I repent. You see, Job wasn't a perfect man. Job had a misunderstanding about the God that he served. And Job needed to have his life recalibrated, just like you and I need to have our life recalibrated. So whether you go, God, whatever you want or not, God's about the business of transforming you into the image of God so that he can can prepare you for an eternal weight of glory far beyond all that you could ever ask or ever think. The other thing I've noticed about this call of God, it's impossible. The things God asks you to do never seem to make sense. I say, God, I can't do that. It's too big. But you see, God loves to give an assignment that is beyond our ability to achieve. And that way, He gets the glory for all the results, all that comes down. So He, he takes Abram out and He says, Abram, I want you to count the stars. That's ridiculous. Have you ever tried that? God, I think I'm going to go count stars tonight. And you look there and you're counting and you're going. Now in, in you know Orange County, LA County, it's a little easier because we've got a lot of city lights and there's only four. But imagine if you're living out in this wilderness and there's no lights and everything and just bursts open and there, and the, the, the sky is just filled with these tiny pinpricks of light. And you're sitting there going, you know, I think About that many, there's about 100 in that. And I'm just gonna kind of multiply, that's about 40 right in here. And he's, oh, I lost count. You see, God likes to challenge you with the impossible. On uh, July 9th, we started a 21-day fast. Some of you took that very seriously. The other night, we were out to dinner with some friends and we got there early and we were waiting for some other couples who were also fasting and they started kind of trickling in, all of them late, and all of them mad. Everybody was mad. You know, everybody was frustrated. They couldn't find a parking place, and they were, and the problem was they were hungry. They were starving, and then, and, and, and you know, my wife and I have been on this fast now, and, and we eat at five o'clock is, the, is kind of the break time. We can eat at five. We're eating one meal a day, and we've been doing that since July 9th. And about four o'clock, I just start dodging my wife, and she starts dodging me. You know what it's like when you get a little hungry and you think, I've got to watch out because people get a little testy when they get hungry. And so people start trickling in, and then you realize what's going on. You see, when you're hungry and when you're frustrated, it's an opportunity to pray, to seek God, to allow God to work in the middle of that situation for his glory. So here's what happened. You know that, that uh, back in, in June we had our, our loan all in place and we were, we were all just rejoicing that God had put something together so miraculously and, and that loan went away. And we found ourselves struggling and scrambling, what are we going to do? And, and I think probably we've probably talked to 50 or more loan institutions over the, over the course of, of the last six to eight weeks. And finally, you know, I just looked at Tammy, she looked at me, and I said, I think we need a fast. She said, I think we need a fast, because we need a spiritual breakthrough. So on July 9th, I got a, the first day of the fast, I got a phone call from someone, and he said, I think I might be able to help you out. As it worked out, that didn't, but he led us to someone else, and so the miracle, we were asking God for three miracles. Miracle number one was we need to have a loan so that we can close on this building, Number two, we need to have all the permits in place. And number three, we need $250,000 for the the tenant improvements in, in addition to what we already had. July 17th, now think about that. That's not very many days ago, is it? July 17th, today's the 28th. That's 11 days. That's eight, that's like eight business days ago. I got the application I got the application, filled it out, I sent it in to this one group. And I'm happy to report that on the Monday of last week, there was a glitch in our banking system. And the money that we sent in, about $32,000 to cover some of the initial fees and some of the initial points, somehow didn't get there. So on Wednesday of last week, we get an email from the bank, are you going to wire the, fee, the fees into the bank? Well, I'm thinking, well, we did on Monday. I log onto the account, totally shut down. Our entire online banking is shut down. And I just start laughing. I said, oh, God, this is too good. This is really too good. And so I call Sean, I call Carla, I call Carly, and I call everybody, and I say, hey, what is going on? I don't know, and so we find out They flagged it because they thought maybe it wasn't a legitimate wire. So they released the funds. And I'm thinking, who's going to loan us money? We can't even get $32,000 there. They get the money. On Thursday, we're talking to them. We get approval on that loan. And by some miracle of God, at 3.59 on Friday afternoon, Our loan was fully funded. We closed on the loan. And it was recorded with the state of California. And that was eight business days. Now, if you've ever got a loan, if you've ever got a loan, you're just lucky to get a call back in eight days. I don't know how it happens. I tell people that story and they said, that's not even possible for that to happen. Miracle number one. Miracle number two, we submitted plans, they went into plan check, typically that's 20 days, another 10 days, and then you've got to go get the permit. And we were just praying that God would give us all the permits by Monday, the 29th. And I want you to know that just minutes after we closed on that loan, we received the permits to begin construction on the new building, and it will begin a week from Monday. And I, that's another miracle. The Metropolitan Water District was going to charge us a huge fee for for the change of, of use, and it was going to be just enormous, really enormous for us. And we began to pray, and some people began to talk to some people, and before it was all long, it was waived, and there was no fee. You know, every step along this journey, God has provided for us in ways that do not make sense. The third miracle the $250,000, we're waiting on that. We have till midnight tomorrow night, and I just ask you to pray. If God puts that on your heart to give any portion of that to our building, we would just encourage you to be a part of that. And you know, I've learned now, if I can get two, and, two, two million plus dollars in, in eight days, God, it is the God of the heavens that really comes through with that, isn't it? It's not us, it's God. God moving in people's hearts and God changing lives. And so we just ask God to, to open up the storehouse of heaven and see what God can do. You see that scripture that says when you believe and receive, let me show you how that really works. And God's really showing me something about this. I'm always in the learning stage, by the way, just so you know. We believe here on earth, but we receive in heaven. You see, it's not the receiving here on earth that's talking about there. It's I believe here and I receive what's in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it's already done in heaven. I have to receive in heaven, and then God dispatches his couriers to take care of that need, however he wants to do it, whether through primary or secondary causes. The other thing I've noticed about God is that that the, the call of God is undeniable. Abraham knew God was calling him. Moses knew God was calling him. Gideon knew God was calling him. Just this past week at Jesus Culture, God gave me a vision for Influence Church for the next five years, and it was undeniable. And as the days go on, I'm going to unfold that to you, but God really just opened my eyes up to see where we were going to be five years from today. You see, God sees in you what nobody else sees. You look in the mirror, you look at your life, you look at your past, you go, this is me. God says, no, that's not you. That's just what you think is you. I see so much more. I see so much richer and so much deeper into your life than you ever could. He sees more than we could ever see in ourselves. We see our limitations, but God sees your potential. God sees what you're really about on the inside. And God said, if I could just get you to strip away some of that stuff you think is you and let me become all I can be in you, you'd be surprised what I can do with you. We have to reject your, the mindset that we've had in the past, the patterns and the limitations that we've put upon ourselves, and we have to trust God. Remember, Paul wrote these words that, that God can do in you, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God made you in his image, and he gave you this ability to, to see great things and to gr- do great things because you, you're creative. And God says, just unleash what I put in you already. Don't let anyone put you down, or don't deny what you can do. I tell you, there was a hundred times in this process I just wanted to quit. I said, God, I'm just tired. Maybe we just stay in the movie theater for the next 20 years. I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. Many times I said, God, what are you up to? This shouldn't have to be this difficult. And I talked to other church blinders and they go, you got it really good. I mean, you're buying a building In 17 months, it's a miracle of God. see, God has a plan. Let me take you to Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18. This is the story of Abram offering his son Isaac. You remember that? Well, we we typically stop there. We don't keep reading. But look what it says in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time, and notice where? Out of heaven. You see, when God wants to get his will done, it's always gonna be out of heaven. He's gonna open up heaven. He's gonna show you something. He's gonna do something in you that you can't believe. And he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Just so the validity of this, the stability of this statement is based on God's commitment. He said, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and then he said something a little bit different he said and as the sand that is on the seashore abram you've been looking up now i want you to look up and i want you to look down i know i want you to see what's up there but i also want you to see what the potential is all around you because if you if you think looking to the stars is just too too out there, too ethereal, I want you to reduce it all down, I want you to pick up a handful of sand, and I want you to say, just that one little cup of sand multiplied a million times over is what God wants to do in my life. So you shall your descendants be. And then he says this, and you shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And God says, it's out of heaven that I'm going to bless. You see, heaven is where all the resources are. You must bring heaven's resources down to earth. You believe on earth, you receive in heaven, and then the answer is dispatched. Because what happens is miracles follow miracles. When you begin to get in the flow of what God is doing, you're gonna begin to see God multiply things over and over again, and you're gonna begin to say things like, this is just the beginning of what God is up to. I was praying the other night, and I said, you know, God, I don't want to just pastor a nice church. I want to pastor a kingdom of God movement. I want to be a part of something that's different, something where people get so excited about God and the Spirit of God within them that they are led and they are they're driven by the Spirit of God to be world changers. C.T. Studd, that Cambridge scholar that left all of his riches and he moved to Africa for the cause of Christ, he said this, some wish to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. There was something about that man that said, I don't want to just do what everybody else does. When I hear your stories about how you're changing the people around you and how your families are changing and how you're seeing God work in your life and the people around you. That's what I say that we need to be about. It says we can possess the gate of the enemy. Hosea chapter 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Did you know that you possess the gate of the enemy? A lot of people think about, well, we, we just inhabit this planet, you know, and one day we're going to leave, but we, we really co-inhabit this planet. We are spiritual beings who contend with other spiritual beings every day of our life. And there is a battle raging here that, that makes all the great battles of the past look small. Because it's a battle for your mind, it's a battle for your children, it's a battle for your life, it's a battle for your eternal soul, and every day you fight that battle, and if you take your hand off the plow for one second, I guarantee you the enemy and demonic spirits will move in, and they will destroy your life just like that. You have to understand that you possess the gate of, uh, of the enemy. You don't have to yield to him. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, Jesus took that promise to Abraham. He brought it up to date to us, and he said this, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What are you binding in heaven now that you want to see God do? And is God doing what you're believing him for? Are you seeing the outcome of your faith, the outcome of your trust in God? He says, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Are you loosing some things? Are you saying, God, I want the breakthroughs to come. I want to get rid of something in my life. In Isaiah 46.10, it says, declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times things that are not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all of my good pleasure. God just says, I'm going to reveal that to you. I'm going to show that to you. But there is a destiny as well. When we think about the nation of Israel, we look at this people who have been scattered. In fact, Israel has not existed as a nation. From 609 B.C., when Babylon came in, until 1948, 2,500 years, Israel did not exist as a nation. And God had a purpose, God had a plan, God had a destiny for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 3 and 4, it says, the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. You see, they've been a scattered people. They've been what's called a part of the diaspora, They've gone into every country because they had no country of their own. And yet God has maintained this Jewish integrity worldwide. Think of the the persecution that came just in World War II when six million Jews died at the hand of a despotic ruler. It looked like there was no hope. But you see, God takes little things and he makes big things out of them. God will take little things in your life that you think they have. I just have a little bit of hope. That's all God needs. I just have a little bit of money. That's all God needs. I just have a little bit of opportunity. That's all God needs. When you turn that over to God, you'll be surprised what God can do. And it says in Deuteronomy, the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. And he will have compassion on you and he will gather you again from all nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. You see who did the scattering? Israel was not faithful to God, so God scattered them down into Ethiopia, up into Russia, all around the world. God scattered them. And then they came back into the, to the land in 1948 and then they established the law of return in 1950. And they said, any Jew... Living anywhere in the world can have citizenship in the land of Israel. Why would they come there? It's desert. It's hostile. There's no water. There's nothing going on there in 1948. Nobody wants the land. And I say nobody wants the land. And yet here is Jerusalem in the center of all of that. It is the spiritual center of the entire universe. The Christians want it. The Jews want it. The Muslims want it. It is unique. He says, I'm going to bring you back and begin to come. And we see the airlift that was coming out of Ethiopia in the 70s and the 80s, and they just flew in the last, they believe, thousand Jews out of Ethiopia to fulfill a scripture in Zechariah. Then in the 70s, the Russians said, we don't want the Jews anymore. You can go back if you want. And they released more, and they came back into the land. And that land was literally transformed into a land that is one of the most powerful uh, nations on the earth, and yet it is one of the smallest nations on the earth. If you've ever talked on a cell phone, and I know you have, then you can thank the nation of Israel for your cell phone. On and on and on it goes, discovery after discovery. They have literally blessed all the nations of the world. Per capita, they have won more Pulitzers. They have won more Nobel Prizes than any other people on the planet because in them, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God says, I will bring you again from the nations where your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven to the farthest parts under heaven, from there, the Lord God will gather you and from there, he will bring you back. In 1948, there were 75,000 Jews living in Egypt. Today, there are less than 50, and they all work at the embassy because they've gone back. In 1948, there were 135,000 Jews living in Iraq. Today, there are none. In 1948, there were 30,000 Jews living in Syria. Today, there are less than 100. In 1948, there were 38,000 Jews living in Libya, and now there are none. Let me show you the significance of this. He is doing, God is doing what God said he would do, and we are the generation who are watching it happen. We are a unique generation. There has never been a generation who have seen the fulfillment of prophecy like this generation that we're living in right now. To see Israel become a nation, to see the regathering of the land, to see the things that are happening, the positioning that's happening in this end time scenario in prophecy, these are very unique times. God looks on his city, Jerusalem. He calls it his city. He calls Israel his land. It's not, it doesn't belong to any people. It belongs to God. And here's what God said in 2 Chronicles 6. God said, I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually in Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and I put my name on it forever. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, They shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it and to the name of the Lord to jerusalem god says my throne for eternity will be in jerusalem god is going to work out a plan in the eternal destiny of this planet and of this universe where he is going to establish his king jesus to sit upon the throne and to rule over all the nations of the earth from jerusalem why did i start and tell you about blessing those two orthodox jews Because I believe the Abrahamic promise, the covenant, is still in place today that God says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and I publicly bless the name of the God of Abraham for the Jews and the nation of Israel. It doesn't mean you agree with every political thing that happens in the nation of Israel. It's not what it's about. It's about God's chosen people and the covenant that God made, just like God made a covenant with you and with me in the blood of the Lamb. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to share with you what I call a declaration of favor in our lives. I'm going to ask you just to repeat this with me. I declare that in Christ, I am a child of the King, and therefore royalty. I believe that all the promises of God are available to me in Abraham and in his seed shall all the nations be blessed. Today is a day of God's favor for me and my household. Satan is defeated and has no power over me. Amen and amen. Let's give God the glory this morning. Come on, put your hands together. Give God the glory. We're going to sing praises unto God right now. And as we sing praises unto God, um, John, you want to do these scriptures now? Yeah. You know, our, our mission statement we began with goes like this. To influence the world and to spread God's fame that many may believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. We believe it's important for us to make God famous in the world, not us. We're, we're, we're nothing apart from him. The early scriptures that formed this, this unusual name for a church, if you will, were these. The first one is Psalm 135 and verse 13. Your name, O Lord, your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all the generations may his fame be great in the world amen mark chapter 1 and verse 28 and immediately his fame that is jesus spread throughout all the region around galilee everyone was talking who is this jesus we want to get close to jesus he's changing lives he's healing the sick he's raising the dead he's speaking like no one has ever spoken before he's speaking with authority and with power and we and they were attracted to that message that he had Mark chapter 4 and verse 24 says, Then his fame went out throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Jesus is in the business of working miracles in our lives today. And we want to make his name great in the land. We want to give God the glory for all he's doing. And as we sing this song for your fame, God, it's all about you. Would you just sing it with all your heart? Would you just give him praise and glory right now before the Lord, the God of heaven?